Hello, everyone. Welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, episode 165, Celebration Janine. Yay, general celebration. Because, I mean, that's not really a reason to celebrate. I was going to say because we're not doing a musical this week. But is that really a reason to celebrate? Because people love musicals. Yes, and I think we did have a lot of fun talking about the musicals we did discuss. I think it's just celebratory because it feels like it's been a really long time. (laughs) That is true. That is true. It kind of does. It kind of does. But we're back here, me and Janine, on the main show. Uh, it's it's exciting, because we're not talking about musicals. So we get a bit of a different vibe of show, yes. I suppose, this week uh, from, from our recent main show episodes. The movie we are talking about this week is something a little bit different to, to what we've talked about lately, not just in the fact that it's not a musical, but it feels like it's been a while since we've done a kind of, uh, well, generally British movie, I suppose, Janine. Yeah. Um, I happen to be just scrolling through uh, the TCM films on HBO Max, and I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to find something I'd never seen before, and they had a section that was like Oscar winners um and so i clicked on it and kind of went through and found this movie and i looked at the premise and like okay this looks kind of interesting definitely very much soap opera vibes these different kind of intertwining stories and dramas and um kind of discovering of things and like a very simple story but very interesting characters and I liked the simplicity of that and the fact that it was kind of inherently a British classic film, which, you know, um, I don't think we do a ton of. Uh, so... Yeah, I think it's, it's a good mix, really. It's a good mix of um, American and, and British. It's got multiple big British stars in it, but it's also ultimately a, an American production with yeah. an American director and also some American stars, but it's set in Britain. It's a good mix of the two, which yeah. is like us, Janine, isn't it? It's like us. <laughs> like us yeah. We're a good mix of the two. Yes, I, I would agree. Um, but also just the fact that it was, um, you know, had some pretty big name actors of that era that I hadn't, to this point, haven't seen any movies of. So I was excited to oh, see. Okay. I, I'd never really seen anything with Rita Hayworth and, um, or Burt Lancaster. So I was really excited to see okay. them in something. Um, and I always knew David Niven to kind of have this dry humor and do a bit more of this dry comedy thing and not anything too super serious. Um, so kind of hearing that he won an Oscar for this was like, okay, I want to see this Oscar winning performance from an actor I know to be more um, humorous uh, as yeah. opposed to more serious. So I was really excited to see this oscar worthy performance from somebody like that so definitely just a bunch of little things peppered here and there that intrigued me about this movie and why i i kind of pitched it to you to do today on the show yes well that movie is of course 1958's separate tables which may sound like a painfully boring title but i can promise (laughs) you this movie's anything but you, know, you get you do get some movies with weirdly mundane sounding titles, Janine, that happen yeah. to be very very good movies. I think this is a uh, an example of that. You're thinking, what is what is this movie about? Tables, different types of tables. <laughs> it sounds so boring. It sounds like something a carpenter would like. Yes, when they're just creating different styles of table that's not what this movie is about <laughs> at all the separate tables it's from 1958 by the way i don't think i said that i always like to give the year always makes more sense to give the year we like the year of movies it, it teaches us movie release dates janine that's a good thing to learn it, it is it is a very good thing to learn <laughs> what was i going to say the separate tables yes alludes to the fact that there are multiple kind of sects of characters in this movie uh, that all sit at separate dining tables in this one hotel on the south 
on the south coast of England, uh, where, where they all live. It's one of those residential hotels, Janine, that you feel like only exist in movies of a certain era where yes. people permanently <laughs> lived in hotels that weren't people that were on tour with a band or something like that. They just lived yeah, in the same they just hotel. Lived there for a summer or something. Um, and I know there's a, a specific term for this, but I always kind of just relate movies like this to the term in the TV world of like a bottle episode where like it all just kind of takes place in one location. So it's definitely well, yeah, a, it's a like play. That. Yes. It's based on a play, this movie. So, and with movies that are based on plays, you do only get like three or four rooms <laughs> yeah. most of the time that you that you have all the action take place in. And it's very, very much what's going on in this movie. It's all in the dialogue it's all in the conversations between people it's all in the characters relationships with one another and it's a really good ensemble cast yeah it's a really good ensemble cast you've already mentioned we've got rita hayworth and burt lancaster in there burt lancaster by the way his production company is what's behind this movie okay. so that that I, I found that was you know that's pretty interesting really um you know burt, burt lancaster has this production company that actually made uh, the Oscar-winning, Best Picture-winning Marty with Ernest Borgnine. Oh, and it, who directed this movie as well. Yes, the same guy directed this movie who directed uh, that, uh, who directed Marty. His name is uh, Delbert Mann. Okay. You'd think he was British with a name like Delbert. Delbert. He isn't, <laughs> isn't British at all. But Yes, you get Rita Hayworth and Burt Lancaster in this movie. You get Deborah Kerr in this movie. David Niven, like you said before, Janine. Wendy Hiller, Gladys Cooper. Uh, Felix Aylmer, who was, I think, Polonius in Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Okay. I think I've got that right. Uh, and a few other people, you know, a few other pretty cool people as well. For me... It was most interesting to see certain actors I am quite familiar with, mainly a Deborah Kerr and a David Niven, play somewhat out of type. Yeah. Which you've already spoken about David Niven, and I think we should be speaking more about David Niven. We have covered a couple of David Niven movies in the past, on this show so unfortunately he isn't going in the mustache hall of fame today because he has long been present in it <laughs> despite the fact i think his mustache in this movie is the best mustache we've come across i was telling you i really ages <laughs> yes it, it's, it's a very strong mustache as opposed to his other um mustaches so maybe <laughs> david niven maybe i just change the movie david niven is in the mustache hall of fame for Yes. And just change it to this movie rather than, I believe, it would be The Bishop's Wife. Yes, definitely a better mustache be. here, I believe. Well, it is. It's, it's big at the at the ends. It's kind yes. of curvy. It looks like... It, do you know what it looks like? It looks like a weird mix of military leader and also Douglas Fairbanks's Zorro. Because he's okay. not really got a middle of his moustache, but he's got really thick the edges. big edges, and it curls yeah. Up. But it looks really good. It, it looks really good. Applause for David Niven and his moustache, Janine. Yay, new, uh, hey. new uh, change. New movie the... for the moustache. Yes, yes. Change. <laughs> so we did talk about the great ensemble cast, but before yes. we get deeper into that, we also know of another great ensemble cast that we love oh, it's very true, Jenny. <laughs> and we very have to true. say a huge thank you to <laughs> very true what a good segue that was excellent <laughs> excellently done oh, applause well, for you. janine's link thank you applause and that ensemble link. cast would be the wonderful it's a wonderful podcast patrons <laughs> it certainly would because every week on one of the shows here on the it's a wonderful podcast feed we say a big hearty thank you 
to all the glorious patrons of It's a Wonderful Podcast because they are the best people in the world. If you would like to join them and join us and support us on Patreon, just go on to Patreon, type in It's a Wonderful Podcast or go to patreon.com slash it's wonderful one. You'll find it. Go and support us there. A whole bunch of fun stuff we have going on on the Patreon. Find the tier that fits your persuasion. And uh, yeah, if you are feeling particularly generous, that is where you are able to go. So thank you, of course, firstly to Maxwell Haddad. And thank you to Amber Coates. Thank you to Abby Friel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to Janine's brother, Justin, 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Adelaide. Thank you, Christina Farrow. Thank you, Heather Sabian. Thank you, Megan McCurley. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fenobi Steve. Thank you to Samia Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Feese. Thank you, Dwayne Burke. Thank you to Adam Collins. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you, and extra special congratulations again, because we'll just keep doing it, to Tom and Kimber <laughs> of the Odd Shape channel. Yes. Uh, thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Patrons, we love the patrons. The Yay. patrons are so great. A wonderful ensemble, as Janine said they are, like you get in this movie as well. You were talking about David Niven before, Janine, you're saying you're more used to see him playing dry comedic characters, as I think most people are. Yes. Even his uh, even his unofficial James Bond is a more comedic a version of James Bond from uh, the, the the 50s. I think it's 56 his Casino Royale came out when, when he was playing a slightly weird, funny version of James Bond that's a little <laughs> bit more like Austin Powers than it really probably should be. Yes. Worth watching, worth watching. Um, but he is definitely giving a very, very surprisingly at times dramatic performance. Yes, okay. Sometimes he will come in with some overly British witty comments or dialogue that's a little bit, feels a little bit put on and you come to learn slightly later on in the movie that it is in fact a little bit put on. But is it fair to say that you were most impressed by David Niven in this whole movie? Uh, yes, because not only is, you know, he going more serious in tone, uh, but like you said, he definitely um, is playing against type a bit, uh, kind of an, an outcast who is trying to fit in. Somebody, you know, he does get caught up in a bit of a scandal and yes. he really genuinely uh, portrays this nervous, uh, shamed energy I mean, you really feel that you really feel, you know, uh, it's come out that he uh, has a proclivity for, I guess, harassing young women. And it's just something that's been built up in him, not really um, having the best experiences in his youth with women and just him not really knowing how to handle those situations. And it causes him to kind of act out in this somewhat deplorable way yeah there's there's and... past trauma there which is the there's past trauma which has caused a switch in the brain somewhere yes to say this is what you need to do despite the fact that he's deeply ashamed that he does this yes so you know there's an article that comes out in the paper that he um has gone up to several women in a movie theater and harassed them um and obviously it's something he's ashamed of so i think he's trying to hide it he's trying to hide it he doesn't want people to know so it's not like it's something he's doing you know out of pride or cockiness or ego or anything like that he he has always been someone who's been afraid of life and afraid of people um because built up traumas in his past and the only way he can 
figure out how to kind of deal with those things is to do this um, to strangers and, um, you know, just get it out of his system in a way. But he is very ashamed of it and he tries to hide that from everyone. So when it does come out, um, the way he just plays this shamed, nervous uh, energy doesn't really know what to do with himself. And, you know, he was so studied and rehearsed when we first met him. And yeah, I think he didn't hide it as well as maybe he thought he was because, you know, once we kind of hear people's opinions of him before hearing this, they all kind of think, oh, he's boring. He's odd. He's, you know, so they do already get that sense that he is just somebody who is afraid of people and interacting with people. Um, and the My one favorite. person we do see him interact well with is Deborah Kerr's character, which plays yes. in really well as well. It does. My favorite uh, way of, of reasoning that David Niven's character, the, the major will call him. Um, my, my favorite piece of reasoning from one of the other people in the movie comes from Felix Aylmer, who I forget the name of as a character. I just know him as the actor, obviously it's me. That's what I look for in people, you know, you know what you know how i am with movies janine yes um it's because david niven failed to correctly quote some really obscure philosopher or something like yeah. that and felix taylor was like oh uh, i could tell he made a horrendous misquotation of uh, blah, 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 whoever it's like so nobody else a... has got any clue what you're talking yes, about, Felix but Taylor. But apparently, was somebody of this class. Yeah, that was should. enough for him to know that he was a terrible liar from the start. Because yes. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, it's it's one of those cases, Janine, of some would call it snooty movies. Yeah, you get you get quite a lot of snootiness in this movie. Which we, is, do. It's good. we do. <laughs> it's entertaining snootiness. Um, you get this put-on snootiness from from David Niven, who does, I completely agree, play nervous incredibly well for somebody that we are so used to being so assured of themselves, so confident yeah. and upright. And he's very, very good at, at doing that for you know the second kind of part of this movie where he's he's doing that for all of his scenes. Yeah, uh, very impressive. And I think Deborah Kerr as well. You said also she Certainly. was playing very much against type. She also is playing this very kind of nervous, timid. Oh, mummy, this. Oh, yes, mummy. No, mummy. Like it's almost more, it's more timid than uh, than David Niven is. Even when David Niven, even when it all comes out about David Niven, he's still got some sort of capability of speaking. Deborah Kerr is just kind of punched down and punched down by her overbearing mother. Yeah, she just kind of shuts down at a certain point and she can't, she has nothing to say. She doesn't know what to say until, until it comes out as this uh, crazy outburst of emotion. Mm. Um, yeah, and like we do kind of see them have a really strong dynamic at the start. So... Um, kind of later when you find out these are two people who are very kind of beaten down and afraid of life and afraid of people and um, don't really know how to get on with other people. But you go back to that very first scene where, you know, she goes out looking for him and they have a really nice conversation. She's very animated and talkative and they just seem very at ease with each other. Yeah. Only to come in from that and, you know, her mother overbearing with her kind of telling her people are talking about you and him why are you you know always talking to this man and um her kind of just shrink into herself you know when somebody calls attention to that or um when she's not in his presence how she just kind of shrinks it back into herself and just lets her mother kind of take over um and even him just kind of really seeming unnatural in trying to project this major character that he's he's been putting on and that feeling very awkward and uh uncomfortable but having that ease of them at the start together definitely shows that bond right away and how different they relate to each other than how they relate to everybody else I think a, a kind of positive message, I guess, that comes out of this movie is that 
people who have suffered some sort of trauma which has caused them to become damaged adults in different ways you know david niven's kind of mental damage is this whole idea of being so afraid of women that the only way he can or the only way his brain allows him to deal with process that is to exactly kind of harass these young women strangers exactly. in the dark of a theater that he doesn't know. exactly and with deborah kerr of course being shunned her entire life by her mother into doing exactly what her mother wants her to do now she's a grown adult she's terrified of people as well she's terrified of anything to do with sex or anything like that and she's barely able to speak when her mother is in conversation because it just gets kind of shut up by yeah. her mother uh, Gladys Cooper plays her mother, by the way. I, I really like her in this movie in the kind of most horrible way. Yeah. She plays snooty upper class horribleness Perfectly. so very well. Yeah. So, so very well, Janine. There's definitely a quote in this movie where she says something along the lines of, I don't care what the working class think. I'm not interested in them. <laughs> and she does talk like this throughout the entire movie. It's like she's the queen. Yeah, she's very much a stereotype of a snooty old British woman. She's um, so great, though. It's very class, you know. So. <laughs> oh, she hates, yes, she hates Burt Lancaster. Yes. She hates Burt Lancaster. She won't say she hates Burt Lancaster, but she hates but she does. Burt Lancaster. And I love that, like, there is a whole scene where, you know, she does read this article and now she wants to have a big house meeting with everyone and make a plan to get uh, David Niven's major kicked out of the hotel. Um, and I, I'd like to know how this hotel works. How does this hotel work where apparently the other residents of the hotel are allowed to get together in a meeting in the lounge to decide that one of the other residents is booted out of the place. This doesn't yes. seem reasonable at all. <laughs> I guess she just wanted to hear from everyone and have enough like voices to go to Miss Cooper, the woman who runs the hotel, and say, hey, everyone is in agreement. Everyone is saying they don't feel comfortable with him around because if it was just her, you know, that would it's be gossip enough. the movie, though, isn't it? This, this, yes, movie this movie really. feels very much like a soap opera, and I think that's why I enjoyed it. Like, it's just these, you do, like, you do like these things, you do, do like these intertwining character soap opera, and that is a soap opera. Like, I grew up watching soap opera, so the intertwining stories and the drama and the secrets and the lies, and oh my yeah. gosh, he was with her, but now he's with her, and she doesn't know, and all of this. So, like, all of these, like, dramatic, overly dramatic situations situations definitely play into my love of this gossipy type of storytelling all, all that's needed to know about the plot is the main crux of it that we've already talked about is that david niven is kind of outed as a harasser of women that's yes. the main crux of the you don't need to know anything else because the rest of the plot elements of the movie are all to do with characters relationships with one another it's not a big sto narrative stories no, it's all you have this big different kind of people situation that he's trying to hide it gets discovered and then it's just kind of other people's stories playing out around that and within that so then when it kind yeah. of all comes together at the end um you know at the separate tables see to see how that all kind of plays out and um how things are kind of left up in the air um so yeah i do like, like play in that way, <laughs> yeah so i do like the scene of burt lancaster to get back to deborah kern her mother's whole kind of dynamic um obviously i think everyone kind of is aware that deborah kerr does have feelings for david niven's character yes um that people kind of whisper and speak about, you know, because obviously she lights up when she's around him. She's more engaged. She's talkative. She's, you know, animated. And she's not like that any other time. They're both um, actually able to be real with each other, which is something they are never with anybody else. Anybody else, else exactly. Um, and the mother's friend implores her, don't tell don't tell, you know, Deborah Kerr, do not tell her about this. Um, this will break her heart. Like, 
but I the like, mother does uh, yes she is like understanding woman. she kind of gets the point she's like I, I don't agree with what he's done um i agree he probably should leave but i don't think we need to make a big thing of it like she i mean sure she's a snooty upper class old british lady like gladys cooper's character but she's nice yeah she's not as judgmental about things like this young couple that's staying there that obviously are like probably sleeping together before they're married oh, you gladys know. cooper hates that as well she, she hates won't tell it. them she won't tell them but she hates it or she grumbles yes, to herself but the kinder she's... other woman is just like oh they're just in love they're young kids in love it's not a big deal and then yes she's you know Another one of my favorite lines from Gladys Cooper, actually, when those uh, that young couple like kind of goes off to the bed, and it's like, "Oh, good, good night, ladies, good night." And it's like, "Oh, yes, good night." Gladys Cooper says something along the lines of, "Oh, well, it's despicable. It's quite obvious they were making love." And then <laughs> Lady Matheson, her her friend, her friend is, is like, like, "How do you know that?" It was just like, "Well." So what if they are? Let them have fun. Let them make love if they want to make love. And Gladys Cooper gives gives a look. Do you think yes. she gives a look? Yes, he has wiping lipstick, you know, with his handkerchief. <laughs> Obviously, they're sleeping together. <laughs> <laughs> like, chill the hell out, lady. Um, I do yeah. love characters like that, though. I mean, I hate them, but I, I do adore watching them. They're so entertaining, yes. those kind of people. So, I mean, I, that is really a tough scene when there's all that buildup of everyone kind of trying to decide what they want to do with David Niven's character. And, yeah. um, you know, the stodgy old woman kind of running this whole meeting and kind of telling people what they should think. And I like that Burt Lancaster kind of stands up to her and he kind of pushes uh, Deborah Kerr's character to stand up to her mother he pushes a little he he pushes he pushes a little too hard and she kind of freaks out and you know gets upset and runs off but or as gladys cooper would say what does she do have one of her states don't get in one of your states again (laughs) now don't go getting in one of your states yes um so i do like that he's kind of aware like everyone is fully aware of these situations everyone is kind of aware that deborah kerr has feelings for david niven everyone is aware that um deborah kerr is under her mother's thumb and she needs to stand up to her so like in living here and kind of observing each other they're all kind of fully aware and people maybe think that they're slick and they're hiding things the young couple they maybe think they're being slick and people don't know because i think they tried to put the story out that they're just friends from college but obviously they're like have plans to marry and all of these things and um everyone is kind of aware of every everything going on with everyone so i like the movie exactly so i like in that scene is very tense where burt lancaster tries to push um, Deborah Kurtz to stand up to her mother for once and, and disagree with her and be honest with her but she just can't do it and she runs off and he does feel kind of bad about that but you know he does explain I just wanted to give her that opportunity to stand against her mother for once yeah, uh, because so, Burt Lancaster ultimately wants to kind of make himself feel like he's doing some good yeah because he's got his problems of his own exactly so he is kind of struggling in his own situation so i do like that while people are kind of dealing with their own dramas and traumas they still are kind of looking out for each other in a way yeah um so i did really like that scene just the pressure of it and the build-up of it and somebody standing up to the stupid old woman (laughs) and um him trying to look out for Deborah Kerr, um, it not working how he had thought, but him at least trying to give her that opportunity. I like that even though everything he's go dealing with, he was still looking out for her in that way. Um, so yeah. I like get the into... one scene of them playing billiards. Oh, I'm sure. I was like, oh yeah, Morgan's going to love this scene. <laughs> Which is an actual, you know, like you just think like billiards is another name for pool or whatever. Billiards is a game of its own you only have three balls in a game of billiards and that's what they were playing wow. um, so i i liked that particular scene because i always have to bring up anytime i see a some form of billiard table in a movie you know that yeah <laughs> and then we just have kind of ancillary characters who just don't really um 
further anything. They're just other patrons of this uh, establishment. And, you know, this one lady who they try to get her opinion, she's very forthcoming and honest, just like, well, I I always thought the major was a liar and a bore. (laughs) Now I can add pervert to the list or something like that, (laughs) she says. And, like, I love, like, when she walks out on the porch, like, in the morning, like, she gets this, like, kind of, like, music. Miss Meacham. (laughs) Yes, like she gets her. She's own the one little, who wins at billiards. Yeah, she gets her own like frumpy dumpy music, <laughs> and I'm just like, why does she get her own little? <laughs> oh, here, here, here she comes. Because she's kind of hilarious. She's in it. She's in it. Just for kind little. of comic relief, I think, that's, of all the drama. Her, yeah, that's that's what Miss Meacham's role is. <laughs> Say very little music. things every so often. Yes, and she does get her own little theme music, which I thought was just funny because she's just this very it. ancillary character, and then she just gets her little dumpy frumpy here she comes music, <laughs> 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 which I just thought was just so random and kind of funny. Well, Glad- um, Gladys Cooper also kind of doesn't necessarily like Miss Meacham either. She thinks she's too out outspoken. Yes, um, she's too outspoken. Like, uh, I do love Gladys Cooper in this movie. I'm sorry. I was, I was just gravitated to her excessive snootiness. Yes, she, she was fun, kind of relief to all the drama. Uh, so then we do have the other kind of bigger plot story happening where... Talk about Burt Lancaster. Yes, Burt Lancaster, he is kind of a drunk. He is has gotten out of a bad... Uh, marriage with uh, Rita Hayworth's character um, and he's secretly engaged to the woman who runs the hotel um, and Rita Hayworth shows up at the hotel to stay she's there to yeah. to mess kind of around with Burt Lancaster to kind of show him that she can still get him um, so I think it plays out that she got word that he is engaged and she just kind of wants to mess with that and prove that he still kind of belongs to her in some way. Um, And to maybe prove to herself that she can still get him. um, And, you know, because she's a model and she's aging. And so it's this whole thing of her feeling like she's losing her looks and losing her power over men in that way. And so she wants to kind of prove to herself that she can still have that. She wants to, hang on to, you know, Burt Lancaster in some kind of way when she sees that he's potentially moving on. So it's this very kind of manipulative thing that's happening and they're very destructive for each other, but they're also very destructive apart, kind of yeah, still stuck in each other's minds. So you they can't fully really for... move on. You feel sorry for Wendy Hiller, who plays Miss Cooper, the hotel owner, though. Yeah. Because she's just kind of doing... She's not doing anything wrong. And Burt Lancaster just calling two minds about everything all the time. Yeah. And she even deals with Rita Hayworth very, very calmly. She does. She was a pillar of strength through all of this. Like, this man is spouting all these things to her that he loves her, that he wants to marry her, you know, and she has to keep telling him, like, tell me these things when you're sober. Tell me these things when you're yeah. not drunk. Say it like, go walk with me on the beach. And she's like, ask me again once you've had some coffee. Like she is very rational about the whole situation and she wants to make sure it's real, but she's not getting overly emotional about things. And I absolutely love that she is just so um, kind of strong and honest. She can tell him the truth about things. Um, she, she has you know, immense feelings for him, but she's not going to let that cloud her rational thinking. And I absolutely love that about this character. We should also mention as well that Wendy Hiller also won an Oscar. Yes. There's two yes. acting Oscars uh, for, for this movie, one for David Niven, one for Wendy Hiller. I think David Niven was lead actor, though. Yes, and, um, I, and she was supporting... And he actually did win the night that he was co-hosting the awards. So to this day, he's the only actor to win while hosting the show. I believe. It's a lovely bit of trivia. <laughs> yeah, I like yes. that. Although that that wouldn't be my favorite David Niven Oscars ceremony moment, Janine. Do you know the one I'm alluding to? Are you aware of the streaker that came on? Yes, that was him. That was him. There's your pillar of British wit (laughs) in David Niven when he says, 
Isn't it wonderful that the, that the one thing that man came on to do was came on stage and showed his shortcomings, yes. or something like that? He says he says something about the man's shortcomings, <laughs> and it's the most perfect, hilarious, perfect yes, to come up with. Of... Yes, very smooth, um, spur of the moment, witty uh, uh, rapport. Um, so yes, uh, definitely. We like David. He, yes, he's had some really great Oscar moments. Obviously, um, very much so. Very much so. Like but yes, Miss um, Cooper, I really like her character. Just really kind of being upfront and honest with people. Um, being honest with Burt Lancaster. Obviously, there's a whole scene where, you know, he ends up getting sucked back into Rita Hayworth's trap and snare and everything she says and does kind of works and she gets him to come up to her room with her and as they are walking in to head to her room they run into miss cooper and yeah. she kind of immediately knows what's going on so she just gets back to work just kind of focuses on that he tries to like make these excuses that she's just there to help him and and she just wants to be there for him and he's she's trying to tell him no she's trying to manipulate you Obviously, um, the one person who she's on the phone with right now is the one person who knows that you and me are engaged. So obviously she yeah. knows that we're engaged and she just wants to mess with that and, and you know, make this power play for you to prove that she still has it, right? But here and is he, the constant strength of Wendy Hiller because she doesn't get mad about it. No, she she's just being get... so real and laying it out for him and kind of calling him an idiot for not being able to see that and feeling sorry for him that they're just in this incessant loop of hurting each other whether they're yeah. together or not together and she just I would kind of like to know i would like to know because you said this was your first movie of rita hayworth's and your first movie of burt lancaster's these are two very very big name actors yeah. of the era what do you think of those two not the characters but from this movie what are your thoughts on those two? I thought they were really great. I mean, Burt Lancaster, we see him kind of have this great range of being strong and standing up to people and supporting other people. But then we also see him kind of sinking into betraying someone who loves him. So you get these shades of him being a good, strong person and being a very weak person minded person as well so the range that he's able to portray definitely um was great to see and i think um definitely you could have had it not been played right you could have either really hated his character for things he's done or really liked his character and i think the fact that he's able to make you still kind of feel for him and generally see him as a good person yeah. and an honest person. Um, even though he's kind of doing these weak things and these not so great things, the fact that you still kind of care about his story and you care about him and you want to see good things for him um, is a testament to his performance. So, Burt Lancaster for me has always been somebody that's able to be almost almost the idea of a quiet gentle giant at times that's able to have spurts of aggression or spurts of heavy emotion it's quite a stereotypically british way of acting yeah you feel like burt lancaster's got a little bit of from a dramatic standpoint uh, the the stiff upper lip kind of style of acting where yeah. it's bottled up and bottled up and bottled up until one scene he just powers all the emotion out. Yeah. Or two scenes you power all the emotion out. First thing I ever saw Burt Lancaster in was The Birdman of Alcatraz, which is the biopic about that one particular prisoner who in Alcatraz who was known for keeping birds, who was like a, a convicted murderer who had clearly issues, but was a big hulking kind of guy that just looked after little birds yeah. in a nest in whilst he was in Alcatraz. 
which I always think has epitomized what Burt Lancaster has seemed to be as an actor for me, which is, and I think he shows it in this movie as well, because a lot of the time he's kind of, he's pleasant, he's nice, but he's kind of somewhat quiet and almost like a gentle giant, like I say, because he does seem like he's about six foot four or something like that. He does seem very tall. (laughs) But then there's a couple of scenes where it is just all out, bottled up emotion, pounding out. That's impressive. It's a particular style of acting that you do tend to see more in, in older British actors than you do necessarily american ones but it's nice to nice to see that from burt lancaster in this movie yeah he was definitely really powerful in this film and you really did feel for him you felt like um almost like david niven's character you kind of have this pity for him and um you know you feel bad that he's kind of a product of the circumstances this woman has made has built up in him that you know he was never really good enough um and so, and like her career and things were more important. He wanted yeah. to have a family and things with her. And she always just reminded him that, you know, she was too good for those things. And she, you know, her life as a model was more important. And he, you know, it was a whole class situation. She was always kind of hammering that into him. Um, so, but the, just the way she looked and the fact that someone who looks like her would desire him was enough to keep him invested and keep him in love and keep him coming back, um, only to come back to all these problems that never got resolved. Um, so you do feel bad for him. You do kind of understand his motives for going back to her. Um, and it only takes uh, Miss Cooper, his fiance, to to snap him out of it and re- and show him like, don't you see what she's doing? And he was so quick to go back to Rita Hayworth's room with her until yeah. she kind of was just real with him. And then he confronts her and tell, and says, you know, you were just using me and this and that. And, you know, um, now I'm seeing you in the harsh lights and it's showing the truth. Like you want, she's like trying to turn off the lights and seduce him. And there's a whole conversation like, you know, um, he's telling her how beautiful she is and she hasn't changed. And she's like, oh, well, it's just makeup. He's like, no, it's not the makeup, but they're in the dark of night. And only that he's now realizing what's going on and she's trying to seduce him and turn off all the lights. He's turning the lights on and is telling her, you know, only people who want to be in the dark are like, you know, hiding the truth. And now that the lights are on, I'm seeing the cracks. I'm seeing the makeup. I'm seeing your Stay. whole facade. It's a little bit uh, Blanche Dubois in a streetcar named Desire. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, isn't it? Like, Very don't dramatic. turn on the lights, you'll see my true self. Yes, and she's the definitely trying it. to hide her aging and things that she can't deal with. And the one thing he could kind of give her confidence in, the whole reason she goes there is to kind of just boost her own ego um, you know, because she feels like she's aging. And, you know, I think there is a part of her that does love him, but there's also a part of her that likes this man that she knows to be such a good, noble, perfect man, still kind of keeping him hanging on to her and not moving forward with somebody else. I just think the casting of Rita Hayworth is arguably the best in this movie, simply because... Look at what Rita Hayworth most famous for. Movies like Gilda. She's yeah. a she's a film noir femme fatale, really. That's what that's what Rita Hayworth is, most notably. But she's also kind of playing that in this movie, slightly later in her career, obviously, when she's playing a character that used to be a pretty femme fatale person who has aged and doesn't want to age, but also still wants and, and, you know, still wants to kind of play this. I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. I can have whatever I want simply because I'm so beautiful in this very kind of noir femme fatale kind of way. But you put it in into the character of this movie it's one of those situations where 
an actor he's playing the character almost or yes. what an actor is most known for is playing the character a michael keaton in birdman i always call it yeah definitely a case of like her being that person that we know yeah. from gilda this attractive femme fatale kind of character who's always wanted and desired and now in this movie she's aging out of that and she doesn't know how to deal with it so you could kind of put what you know of her in the past because like i obviously this is the first movie i've seen her in but like you yeah. know if anyone's seen shawshank redemption they know that scene that exactly. everyone fawns over of her who me and you know how gorgeous she was in that movie and she's the poster on andy dufresne's wall and um she how is. much she's desired so if you kind of put all of that well, she isn't built up she isn't the poster on Andy Dufresne. I believe she's the first poster. Oh, the first poster, that's the true. First yes. poster. The, the second one is Raquel Welch. Yeah. down. <laughs> down. Well done, Janine. Yes, well she's the first, and then it's, it's Raquel. Um, they, you can kind of apply all of those things of her being this desired young actress woman to her feeling that like this aging, you know, model now um, and put that into the character and kind of understand her motivation. in Sunset Boulevard. Yes, because that's exactly her as well. Um, so yeah. You not as weird. Yeah. <laughs> with a, like a dead monkey, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you can put those motivations into um, this character and kind of understand why she's doing the thing she does and try to kind of maybe see if she really does love Burt Lancaster or if it is all just kind of her vanity kind of run amok. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even when, you know, he does call her out and at a certain point he strikes her and takes off, she's still begging for him to come back. And Miss Cooper kind of witnessing all of this is still very helpful to her and like tries to, you know, help her with her wounds and calm her down. And, um, you know, Burt Lancaster just kind of takes off and she's very worried about him. And Miss Cooper's trying to reassure, you know, the woman that her fiance was trying to cheat on her with his ex-wife yeah. and she's there trying to reassure her when he does return she tells him go talk to her she's very worried about you she's not in a good place you know she admitted to me that she's taking a lot of sleeping pills because she just can't deal with things and she's struggling and she just needs to know you're okay so she's even imploring him to go to her and talk to her even though it's like this very hard situation, I'm sure for her, because this man she loves is still kind of so deeply rooted and connected to his toxic relationship. Um, but she's a very, she's a realist in this situation. She's very rational. Um, and I feel like her, it's kind of a situation where her position is informing her character. She is mm. running this hotel, this hotel that is full of chaos and she's perfectly in charge of it. Just like she's in charge of, you know, the chaos of these situations. Yeah, she um, never loses control. No. So just kind of her position as somebody running an establishment kind of plays into her character as somebody who's able to handle situations. And um, just her being the owner and operator kind of informs her character as somebody who is owning and operating these ridiculous and intense situations so well. Yeah, I I do think that the movie actually, for being from 1958, and obviously conversations on mental illness have come a startlingly long way since the 50s, um, I actually want to give this movie credit, or more accurately, I suppose, the, the play originally, because it's the same thing, it's just done for screen. Um, I want to give it credit for being very very frank and honest about people's mental problems it's not necessarily the most uh i don't i, I don't know what word i'm trying to look for it's not the kind of most sensitive discussion yeah. on the people's mental illnesses but it's a it's an honest discussion yeah. on people's problems and it acknowledges that people can have problems due to trauma caused by others. Yeah. Which is 
I think deserves some credit for having that level of honesty and in the end, eventually making the message, you know, yes, you have done particularly, obviously David Niven, you have done fairly deplorable things, but we recognize that it's a mental illness. We recognize that it is not your fault. And it's and, something that you obviously have shown remorse and uh, regret and exactly. embarrassment and shame for. It's something you so, are ashamed of. It's not like some, you know, skeevy, rapey guy who's out here like relishing in these acts, no, enjoying it. He does this because he doesn't know any other way to to approach women. He, he's yeah. never, you know, he's afraid of sex. He's afraid of life. He's afraid of people. And but he has these feelings and he doesn't know how to process them properly. Which is why even after we learn all that about David Niven, of course, we still root for his relationship, I suppose, with Deborah Kerr. Because yes. we want the, the two of them to succeed as people. As yes, and, and, and get out of the fear that they have and kind of exactly, overcome because it's that. Causing, it's causing them issues in different ways but it's causing them personal issues and i think the movie is really good in saying that and i think the ending of the movie is actually really very very positive in saying that we come together because we want to help human beings and you we are not going to dehumanize you simply because you have committed you know you you've been weird with people weird with women you have been a the fact of the matter is he has sexually harassed women, but the fact of the matter is that is because he was mentally ill and we get and we want to get to the root of that issue. We do not dehumanize somebody for the simple fact they have done something if they have done something that isn't them relishing it, that isn't them enjoying it, that is something they are deeply remorseful for every single time of, really. Yes, so I, he does have an, a really great conversation with Deborah Kerr, because he's kind of the only one he is worried about hurting with this information. Yeah, She's the only one he really cares about their opinion. So when he does kind of come back and realize it's all out and exposed and everybody knows, um, he kind of starts off with Deborah Kerr trying to like spout some, you know, fake military story to her and she yeah. just shouts at him like i know the truth stop lying to me why did you do why did you lie all of these things and he you know explains to her he tries to be honest with her she's like how could you do such terrible things and you know he does kind of relate them and she kind of honestly doesn't like hearing that at first that he kind of says that they're similar because all all that she's seeing him as is this harasser yeah, but, and but she's when, terrified of anything to do with anything like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So when he does compare them and say, we are similar in that way, I think that's why we get on so well, is that, you know, we are both afraid of life. We are both afraid yeah. of people and, and so fearful of, you know, what they'll think of us and how to interact with them. And, you know, um, we've just been beaten down. And I, that's why I think we are drawn to each other. And she's like, well, what about, you know, what the others think? And he's just like, I don't care what they think. I just care what you think. Um, and her fighting against that. And then her kind of having this breakdown and being when he's trying to tell her, well, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'll figure it out. I mean, I don't know. I can't stay anywhere around here. because People will know who I am. And I don't have any money and, you know, but I'll figure it out. And her just like being so worried and scared for him. She's angry that he lied. She's angry that, you know, this man, this noble man she thought he was, um, is, has done deplorable things, but she still cares for him so deeply. And she's just so worried about where he's going to land and where he's going to end up and what's yeah. going to happen to him. And she has this whole kind of breakdown, uh, which also I believe is part of what got her a nomination uh, for this movie. Um, oh, she's very good at it. De I mean, Deborah is very good at yes. everything. So she kind of has these conflicting feelings of um, not wanting to believe that they are similar, but realizing that they actually are in a lot of ways. And yeah. just this concern for how he's going to end up and what's going to happen to him and this fear for him. Like, she's like, I'll give you money. I'll give you, you know, these bonds and I'll help you in any way I can. And, you know, 
It's um, that very clever line. It's very, very precise and just very, very clever line because it doesn't forgive David Niven for the bad things he's done. It doesn't forgive no. him for it. It just makes the rest of the characters understand that there's something, you know, he's ill. That's what it makes them realize. Which yeah, is, and is they just and sympathize, and, and they just sympathize with to him. Help. So when he is trying to leave, and he's talking to Mrs. Cooper, like she is actually really amazing to him. She's like, "Just stay, like you know, yeah. don't worry about everyone else. Just stay on. Like I'm not going to listen to them when they say, you know, that you need to go and this and that. You know, I'd rather you feel safe here than try to go somewhere else, and you know, something happened to you." And he even kind of alludes to the fact that like he might commit suicide there because yeah. he's just so ashamed of everything. And she's like, well, I'm willing to take that chance of you not doing that and being here still. Like, you know, and she's so supportive of him. And I think that's enough for him to see that, like, you know, I think with the right people and the right kind of support system, it, this is something he can kind of overcome and open up. And that's um, why I really like that final scene. Yes. So, you know, we're still trying to figure out if he's going to leave or not. Ms. Cooper does her best efforts to try to convince him to stay. Um, and for her to even like go do this when she's kind of dealing with all of her own personal drama with Burt Lancaster and all of these things. Um, so then we kind of, uh, that's the big kind of climax of the movie is Burt Lancaster and Rita Hayworth kind of coming together and talking through their issues and kind of trying yeah. to decide, um, if they'll ever be like happy together or ever be happy apart. So they're kind of left open-ended, but at least they have the kind of civil conversation about it and they're at a table together trying and to figure this out. That's um, what this movie is more focused on. It's not focused on definitive endings. It's focused no. on the ability to get there. Yes. And so I like that, that, that the conversation is being had with them um, yeah. because aside from the David Niven plot point, this was kind of the second kind of biggest yeah. uh, drama 100%. that we're kind of dealing with. Well, um, it's, the, it's the more romance aspect of the movie as opposed to David Niven's more dramatic aspect of the movie. Yes. In this movie, a romance drama. Yes. You know, so it, it's split up in that way. Yes. Um, so then we do have the other kind of patrons coming in for breakfast and, you know, the uh, um, the the philosopher teacher and the uh, what's her uh, name? Felix Hilden, yes. Yes, He's and Miss Me Meacham, old... is that her name? Miss Meacham, the blunt, <laughs> the blunt woman. <laughs> she comes in for breakfast and here comes, uh, you know, Deborah Kerr and her mother and the her kind right, older yes, Gladys friend. Cooper's, Gladys yes, Cooper's they really all come in. happy at this point, Janine. She's because she feels like she's, you know, outed David Niven and ha ha ha, she's successful. She's gotten everyone to admit that they don't want him around and... Um, but we then... will not. We will not have any horrible people at at this hotel. No, we will not. <laughs> we must be drinking tea at two p.m. in the afternoon every day, and then playing a game of bridge. Yes, she is very That's much what we are thinking doing every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is very much reveling this... in her success, her perceived success. In I think she's got a hyphenated name as well, Janine, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they call her like Lady RB or something because her name is like something Bell. Miss Railton Bell. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. Hello. Um, She's so fancy. Yes. So they do all kind of come in for breakfast and then here in nervously walks uh, David Niven and he sits down and he's very nervous and shaky and kind of hiding in his menu and keeping his head down and he just doesn't know he feels all the eyes on him like he drops the holder of his napkin and he just like everyone looks at him and um, he's just you just feel so hard for him in this moment that he's just like that he had the courage to even come in here and uh contemplate staying when he knows all yeah. these people know this about him um and so you kind of take into account the bravery that it's taking him to even walk into this room and sit down at this table um and everyone's just kind of staring at him and uh from their separate tables yes and so obviously uh miss old crotchety lady she's just like no we're gonna go uh tries to get her daughter to go with her we're not going to 
uh, sit here with him. Um, but then we are uh, not sitting in the same room as this man. We are not doing. Come on, Sibyl. Yes. Come on. And <laughs> what does Sibyl Deborah Sage name? No, mummy. No, mummy. I'm, I'm not going. I, and, and then, but we see Bert Lancaster give a smile. Well, it starts off that like he walks in and everyone's not like speaking to him and all the eyes are on him and he's just very yeah. nervous and doesn't know what to do. The waitress comes over, gets his order. Um, and then he he kind of is just sinking into his shame when Burt Lancaster is the first to be like, "How good morning. And he says good morning to him. And he's like, oh, good morning. And then, you know, uh, Miss Meacham also replies good morning one as well. One. And yes, everyone just starts saying good morning to him, making him feel welcome. And then, yes, Miss uh, Crotchety Old Crotch is not having it. On, <laughs> yes, until Gladys Cooper's left there going, why are you all saying good morning? And even He's her friend, oh. even, her, even her kind old friend is like, yes. oh, are you having the uh, the fish today? It's very delicious. And, you know, she's oh, having land. You're having the fish. Yes, it's very nice. Yes. Like and she's like, you're food. talking you. to him too. <laughs> so then, yeah, she's not having it. So she tries to get Sybil to come with her. And Sybil's like, no, mother, I'm still eating my breakfast. I'm going to sit here and enjoy my breakfast. And so at which she's... point everybody watching the movie's going, yes. 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 So then they <laughs> all kind of um they all kind of just are talking to him. She storms away because she's not happy that people are actually interacting with him. You know um, where you're like Gladys Cooper <laughs> from Janine. What? She was Re Rex Harrison's mother in My Fair Lady. Oh. The very old woman. Okay. who had all of the questionable <sighs> things to say about Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. Okay, well then I knew I knew I liked her. That's where Gladys Cooper's <laughs> from. So she does actually come in and tell him, hey, your taxi has arrived and he's like, send it away. So then he ends up deciding to stay um, and she's like, and we'll see you for lunch, right? And he's like, yes, I will be here for lunch. So then you the, kind of just yes, that's the last yes, line, and that's how it ends. He decides to he he decides to stay. He's kind of supported to get through the situation, in you know, with everybody, and yeah, yeah it's just kind of an open ended. Like, hopefully, this can be the turning point for some of these people to kind of figure out their lives from here. It's just it's just a very positive message of people helping other people. Yeah. Despite what situation they may be in, despite how bad it may seem, recognizing that people want to change for the better and helping them do it. Yeah, exactly. Being there for them in this tiny little hotel community. Yeah. On the south coast of England. It's, it, it just leaves you very, very. Hopeful and hopeful, it does. It really does. And I was a big just, fan of this. Yes, definitely. Like a very simple, simply told story. Like I said, like a bottle episode of a movie, all just kind of taking place in one location, where you could think that would just be really boring, but it's actually like you know, interesting. Kind of taking a look into these people's lives and sympathizing with them and understanding their motivations and um, yeah, very soap opera esque, which I love and. Uh, just a very kind of positive ending. So I really liked the simplicity of this story, how it was told, um, and really how these characters develop in in the story. So yeah. it's always ex it's always entertaining and exciting to see snooty Britishness <laughs> from old people in the movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> Always, and I, you know me, I'm a fan of comeuppance, and we did get a little bit of comeuppance with her not getting her way. So no, um, she didn't get away. That. No, she stormed out of the room. Yes, she's the she's the villain now. Yes, yeah, so I did. She's the one everybody that. doesn't like. <laughs> I was a fan of that for sure. Don't be too snooty. Don't yeah. be too snooty. Don't even be a little bit snooty, or be as snooty as Lady Matheson, her friend. Because she's the perfect level nice of snootiness. Yeah. <laughs> she might like upper class things, but she's pleasant to everybody. Yes. You know, be like, don't be like Mrs. Uh, Railton Bell or whatever her name was, Gladys Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Be like Mrs. Cooper, 
Wendy Hiller. Be like Mrs. Yes. Yeah, holding shit down. In control down. of the whole situation at all times, d- despite our emotional feelings, we are in control. Yes. Be like that. I enjoyed this, though, Janine. What a good pick. What a good find it was from yes, you. Yes, I was really glad I stumbled upon this. Yay, Exciting. I really enjoyed this one. Celebration. Well, I don't think we have anything else to say, Janine, about no. separate tables. <laughs> Although it's got a little bit of a theme tune, I suppose, which we didn't mention. No. <laughs> but, but it's basically just... Separate tables. It's not, yeah, it, sound it, like it, sounds, it sounds like the theme song of a soap opera. <laughs> it does a little bit. It does yeah. a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think there we go, Janine. Do you? Yes. Well, there we are. Episode 165 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. We've been talking 1958 separate tables, starring David Nevin, Deborah Kerr. Burt Lancaster, Rita Hayworth, Wendy Hiller, um, and the rest of them, Gladys Cooper, Felix Aylmer. Very good ensemble cast. Very, very, very good ensemble cast. Janine, this show, it's a wonderful podcast, the main show. is not the only show you can find on this feed, is it? It is not. We also have Machine Mondays every Monday with me, Janine the Machine, talking all things Schmodown. And of course, every Wednesday we have Morgan Hasn't Seen, where I force you to watch things you haven't seen. And right now we are talking dark teen comedies. Yeah. Fun times. Fun times. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. You can find the podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and all the other places you can find podcasts. I've already spoken about the Patreon before, but we also have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel, so go ahead and subscribe and do your notification bells and all that kind of stuff over there to see all the uh, the videos and the streams and the watch-alongs and all that good stuff we have going on on the YouTube. Um, also, you can find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with the three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at just the Purple Dawn. All your wonderful stuff is at where... You could find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my Tee Public shop at G9Design. Well, you know exactly what impression I'm going to ask you to do, Janine, to end off the show. I want your snootiest British accent, please. Ahem. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.